Welcome to the DAP Project. This is Rhonda. And I'm Aaron. We're joined today by our friend Les Williams. Les is a good friend of Aaron's through their investment club. And he's also someone that I've known socially for years through friends and also because Les just knows everybody in the district and probably everywhere. So this was a great conversation just from the beginning, just off the break, it was a great talk. Les said that he saw Aaron put up the bat signal in the form of an email reaching out to invite him to the DAP project and Les immediately responded. So that gives you a sense of how committed Les is to supporting his friends and supporting the people and the culture. And then he just got it. He got immediately what we were trying to do and describe the four levels of DAP and his experience from DAP with Bill to DAP with Demetrius. And then what all of that really signifies and how that is emblematic to uh, rather a person and a black man's commitment to excellence and to pursuing and achieving all that one can out of life. So this is a hella funny conversation, in my opinion. Aaron, what did you enjoy about talking with your friend? Or should I say Sankofa, what did you enjoy about talking with your friend? Yeah, each of my boys from the Hope Investment Club will certainly get on the DAP project at some point in time. They've all said they'd love to. But when I first put the call out, Les, you know, as he stated in the interview, he had no clue what it was about, what was going on, but he's like, yes, I'll do it. And that's just the, that's just who Les is. That's why he is so well networked. That's why people love him. That's why he brings so much energy to all situations he's a part of, is because he's that committed friend who is hella smart, hella intelligent, hella funny. And for us to sit down and have a conversation with him for this hour and a half uh, really brought to life what the DAP project is all about. Just really, you know, literally exploring DAP, but then digging so much deeper into why DAP is so purposeful in the lives of black men. So I appreciate you, Les. Let's get into it. Officially welcome uh, Les Williams to the DAP Project. Welcome, brother. Um, Thank you so much. It's good to be. It's good to be here. All right. <laughs> and, and even though you're like family, you're the first non-family member of uh, the DAP Project that we're interviewing. So please feel honored. <laughs> so true. Prior uh, interviewees have been, let's see, my brother, my cousin. <laughs> My other brother, my nephew, my brother-in-law, <laughs> you're seeing a trend. <laughs> and I uh, appreciate your flexibility. I know we rescheduled. Uh, congratulations on the reason for having to uh, reschedule for uh, expansion of your business and moving to a different office. Um, um, I think it yep. was somewhere around 2012 uh, that I got, got involved. And I distinctly remember we were in probably um, Kier's uh, boardroom and we all, when we first introduced ourselves, we went around the room and gave each other dap and the, and the brother hug. So it just made sense for us to, uh, to, to turn to the investment club slash hope group yep. to, uh, 
to get this kicked off. I got a few brothers I've invited as well, but you were the first to answer the call, as I knew you would. Oh, I mean, man. I, I know Les got me. That's back. right. <laughs> That's right, man. If it, hey, man, when you put up the bat signal, instead of a picture of like a bat in the air over a cityscape, it was just your outline with a beard. Les, do not gas this man's head up. We were talking about Aaron's affinity for the selfie. Hey, hey, you know, come on. Yes, yes. And how he is one of my favorite subjects. The, the brother, he is. The brother, he is. Male needs to be put out there in all ways possible, and that's what I'm. I'm that's right. That's my campaign. That's right. <laughs> and so, and so, Rhonda, you, you may not know this, but you, well, you know his email is Sankofa, right? I think Sankofa77 at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, we all went to this amazing woman uh, named Tari Cash, black woman. She has her own indoor golf simulator. And I took hope there. And I, you know, before and everybody lined up, we were doing closest to the pin, Rhonda. And so we all hit and, you know, try to see how close we can get. So like you would do in any good golf, you know, tournament, I would always announce the person and where they're from. So when, when Aaron got up there, cause I always call him saying, I said, and now, representing the United Negro College Fund because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Sankofa. So after that, Tari kept calling him Sankofa the whole night and I'm laughing. Oh and she's like, Sankofa. Is is so <laughs> right. She thinks my name is Sankofa now. Um, she's saying, his name is Sankofa. Yeah, Sankofa, Sankofa. <laughs> So, yeah. Let's tell me. Uh, you know, so you got my email. I think it was email or text. And what's the first thing that came to mind? Because I've not talked about it at all to the brothers uh, so far. I just said, let me send out this invite. See who, see who wants to get involved. But when you saw the DAP project and may have gone to the website or whatnot, what came to mind as to what this could all be about? Yeah. So here's what happened. So in this world of um. Uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, COVID-19, I've been getting a lot of requests for Zoom calls and chats and all that stuff. A lot of them I turn down and I accept them as regular calls because I don't do a lot of Zoom stuff because usually at my job, I have a lot of stuff going on. Or if I'm working from home, I got my you know headphones on, I'm washing dishes, all that stuff. So only because it was you, I accepted I didn't even know what the DAP project was. I just accepted because there's a brother in need. You put the bat sign up. I saw over the horizon of Washington, D.C., there was you and the beard. I was like, let's do it. So I didn't even look and find out what this was about until 10 minutes before our call. My wife asked me, she said, oh, you got that call? And I said, yeah, I think it's, I'm probably, because yesterday I was on a Zoom call. And because it was my high school, it was in front of uh, five students who just had needed career advice. And I told them, I do not do Zoom calls, and I told them why. But I said, because it's my alma mater, I'm doing it for you guys. And so BJ said, so what is this about? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And then all of a sudden, I go to your website, and you and Rhonda are talking to Nipsey Hustle, <laughs> who I thought was Nipsey Hustle. <laughs> so it just said, and I knew it said, you know, SoundCloud, you know, you know, it had one of those like parental advisory stickers on it. There may be some vulgar language. I was like, well, this is good because I can talk shit and drink, which is what I'm doing right now. Amen, brother. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. And I still really don't know what it's all about. I, I just know it's about real 
people talking about real issues, but because it was you, Sankofa, and I, when I knew Rhonda was in the house on us, I, I just want to contribute because we have to support one another because like I've told you many bef- times before, and you know, the same thing, we talk about a hope. Other cultures are better at doing this. So I want to put my money where my mouth is and just whatever you need, I'll do. All right. It means the world. And you know, uh, the same goes for me on anything you, uh, as you have working on working as well. Um, so the way it all started, just so we can give you a little bit of history is Rhonda, me and Rhonda for the past two or three years or so have been grabbing lunch every few months. Just we're both working education and we bounce ideas mm-hmm. off of each other and, uh, talk about life. Uh, she's been friends with, with Danielle for how long, Rhonda? 10, 15? So like 10 years. Yeah, so 10. Wow, that's years. cool. Friendship with, with Rhonda and Danielle. Um, so we sat down at, at Le Diplomat uh, to get lunch on one of our regular every so many months lunch dates. Mm-hmm. And she departed from our normal, you know, what's going on in the education sector <laughs> conversation. She said, I want to do, do a little pet project. And so I said, well, okay, what is it? Yeah. So let's talk about depth. You know, I've, I've never heard, you know, a woman say, let's talk about depth or even talk yeah. bring depth up. But she went into it and, and she was talking about what we did when we first met at the Hope meeting, going around the, the uh, board table and gave each other dab and wanted to explore that further and specifically wanted to explore it within D.C. and uh, the historical D.C. and a gentrifying D.C. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool idea. And here we are, what are we, four or five months later, uh, three interviews yeah, in. I'm very excited about the project. That, that lunch was back in November. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've had some time to sit with the idea and turn it over figure out what's interesting about the project. And so, yeah, I approached Aaron because, you know, Sankofa here thinks about things. He's a brother that sits back with some bourbon, thinking about the culture and where the race is going. And so I was like, you know, I think Aaron is the right person to approach with this idea. Um, You know, from a woman's perspective, we are always wondering what are men thinking? What is going on in their brains? And if you expand that out, you ask yourself, how how does the world see the Black men that we know and love, and how do they see each other? And when you see men exchange that, to me, that is a moment of love, of joy, of just unspoken appreciation and respect for each other. And among Black men, it's like this whole thing. There are so many, there are levels. There are levels to the death. So I am very curious about uh, all the all the things, how it started, where you learned the death. What does it look mm-hmm. like in college? What does it look like in business school? What does it look like in a professional setting? What does it look like, you know, in these different spaces? What are you trying to tell each other? Because you tell each other a lot in just a few mm-hmm. seconds as I've yeah. heard from uh from friends and so uh you don't give that to everybody some people get it some people don't some people that's right adapt so we are we're asking guys to expound on this yeah uh, so in in my humble opinion there's and this is all i'm thinking about all this on the fly 
there's four four levels of that. Oh, four. Okay. There's, there's four levels. Right. And this is all on the fly. Okay. It's the it's the Tito's talking to me as well. Yes. <laughs> this is this is the first level. Every black male has been in an environment where when they first meet another black male and there are other people around that are non-black, when you shake that person's hand, the first thing you do is you give them a regular handshake. That's just, that's not that, it's a regular handshake. Um, but what's interesting is in environments where if, if things aren't as, and we all, this is what I'm about to say next is, it's, we all have enough emotional intelligence to know that there's certain environments where if you know the, the your work, and this is a work environment, work colleagues, if your work colleagues are cool, and by the way, these are non-black work colleagues, they could be Indian, white, Chinese, doesn't matter. If you're cool with them, and then you meet another person, especially if you talk to him or, her, or usually him, him on the phone, another black man on the phone, and you're with him, even if he's with other work colleagues, if you're doing a deal, if it's a client, if it's a business partner, but you meet for the first time, what you'll do is you'll actually first shake his hand and then you'll go like this. Mm, okay. And then that'll be it. That, that's phase one. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, and I've noticed I do this because this happens quite a bit. The other people that are in that room or that group you're meeting with, I don't do the same thing. I just say, hey, Phil, good to meet you. Hey, Brian, good to meet you. Mm -hmm. Demetrius, man, how you doing? And you do like that real, but you do it quick enough where you don't. You, and with Phil and Brian, you still give a firm handshake, and maybe you'll do the thing where you tap, you take your other left hand, and you put it on the shoulder of the gentleman. But with, with the black dude, you just naturally do it. And what's funny is it happens so naturally that there's this unspoken thing, especially if it, if it, if it, like I can imagine. If I were to meet Clarence Thomas, Thomas for the first time, he probably wouldn't be good at phase one. It'd be awkward. You'd kind of slip. It just, you know, it just wouldn't work right. Ben Carson's probably the same way. It just wouldn't work right because there's this level of, well, we're supposed to be professional and shake hands. But with 98% of folks, I don't care if you're what your your you know political views are, you automatically go to that second phase. That's phase one. Phase two is if you now meet this person, let's just call him Demetrius. You meet Demetrius again. It could be a month later, two months later, doesn't matter. What you'll do is you'll dap him up. Boom, boom. Then you'll go in for the hug like that. Uh -huh. Just a one arm hug and then boom, and you finish talking to Brian and Phil. How you doing, Brian and Phil? And you may, I don't know what you would do with Brian and Phil, but you still greet him because you love him to death. Yeah. But phase two is when you go in for, uh, for like a little bit of a, pull in right phase three when you're working along with demetrius you're getting to know one another a little bit stronger it's boom so there's a sound that actually makes the clapping sound because i'm holding my phone yeah because i'm holding my phone i can't make it now um but it's like this and you actually want it to be loud so people can hear because this is the third time you're meeting somebody bam so it's a loud clapping sound so if, if the audience can just clap their hands that's the sound it makes and really good ones, both gentlemen cup their hands so that there's this compression of air that goes on. And then you go in for the bro hug, but guess what? You take your left hand and you wrap it around the gentleman's back. Ah. So that is phase three. Phase four. Now, phase four is very special because phase four, everything I just said happens. 
but then you and and usually you can only do this if Phil and Brian aren't around because it just feels better. But you say, "Hey, what's up, motherfucker?" <laughs> that's phase four after you do all that. That's that's what you do. So if if you were to go to a hope meeting, you will see, "Hey, what's up, motherfucker? You crazy?" But hey, man, I saw that post on Facebook. Yo, what? That's so. That's phase four is when you can add an expletive, anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's the four phases, but. But the, of all those, the most interesting one is phase one is because there's this inherent thing where every black guy knows. And I, I love it when I'm in a situation where there's non-black folks around and then you do the quick because yeah. then it's like this unspoken thing. And some of my close white friends have said, that's so cool how you guys were able to do that. I said, well, you should try it too. Mm-hmm. And they said, I just, it's not a cultural thing. And so that's, that's the four phases as I see them. That is the perfect jump off. I have so many questions. Right. That, was, that was so so beautifully put, uh, Les. So, so beautifully beautiful. put, Les. Thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> if, if Zoom broke down at this very moment, we have a wonderful interview already. In, in the- <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to go back to the the clap that you kind of want to. Be emoted from the depth. Yeah, you spoke about you wanted to you wanted to be heard. It's like we got to do this again. I didn't hear the clap. Yeah, that's exactly what that means, and and historically what that means. Because right now we're you know we're in our fourth decade of life. But what did it mean to you when you were first introduced to DAP? Or you know when do you think you were first introduced to DAP as a as a kid? So. I was, um, so back at UVA, my buddies and I started this organization called Bucks Brothers United Celebrating Knowledge and Success. And it was started in 1998 and it went on for a number of years. It, it, it fizzled out around 2012 or so, but, um, it started by about eight of us. All of us had different backgrounds. I was, there was a few engineers. There were some folks that were in art history, you know, folks that were in architecture. And we said, you know, around this time, UVA was going through some interesting things where, uh, a lot of the football players, um, predominantly black, at these frat parties, you know, because, you know, at many college campuses, a lot of black frats can't afford to have their own house. So you'd always rent a house. And for UVA, it was Sigma Nu. So at Sigma Nu parties, there would always, unfortunately, be fights between Charlottesville residents, not townies. People call town, no, Charlottesville residents. Look at Rhonda laughing because she knows that's what people, yeah, that's what people say. But there was, so we said, we said, we got to do something where, we can better um, bring these two worlds together because they are different worlds. Charlottesville residents looked at us as if we were better than them, right? And we looked at them as if they were lower than them. And by the way, what I just said is a generalization, mm-hmm. but that's the overall sense that you got. So we started, eight of us, we started opening up computer labs, two of them in the Charlottesville community so that they could see people that looked like them working with their brothers and sisters, et cetera, et cetera. So what happened is we started getting organizations like Madison House. So all colleges and universities have groups like Madison House. They do outreach in the community. Madison House could not get to some of the areas where we were able to get to just because of, you know, what we looked like and how we presented ourselves. So we started staffing these volunteers at Madison House with people who were not even black, right? Just folks, Charlottesville folks that wanted to help out or UVA folks, excuse me, that wanted to help out in the Charlottesville community. And so... Um, but whenever we would greet one another around campus, 
we would always dap one another up. So that's that's when my first, and here's the thing, something else I didn't mention, sometimes, and this probably takes place in phase two, um, when you do the handshake into this, and you'll remember, you guys remember this here, you do the snap. Oh yeah. And you can actually snap your middle finger into the top hand of somebody else. And so sometimes you get that bam in the snap. So first you get the boom, the clap when you first dap up, then you snap and then you do the hug again. So that's what we would do. Um, and it was just, that's my, my first real experience. When I went to Ford as an engineer in Detroit, I noticed, man, this is like something that just is in, endemic in us. Everybody was doing it. You know what I mean? So that was 2000 to 2003. And that just, that just, yeah, it just happened, you know? And, and, but my first experience was a UVA. Yeah. That's interesting. My most vivid memory is at my undergrad at Columbia. And I remember being on college walk and seeing all these different guys. So I went to school here, high school here in DC, uh, academic high school, maybe like five, six guys in the whole school. So it was a bunch of women. So you go to yeah. college, and you're like, wow, look at all these dudes. This is amazing. <laughs> and they're from all over the country, but New York and LA dudes in particular, you know, they have their flavor. And they're just giving <laughs> each other a dap across college walk at Columbia. I'm like, this is just beautiful. Look at what is happening here. And they, of course, would not give me that that often. But uh, college was definitely formative in uh in the exchange of that my brother remembers junior high being a formative moment and you're from virginia where did you go to uh junior high i know you went to tj for high school but how about for junior high yeah junior high i went to carl sandberg uh, middle school which is my base school would have been west potomac high school um, which is right uh in fairfax county in like the bell haven area like right it's just south of old town is where I would have gone, but yeah, Carl Sandburg Middle School. At, at Carl Sandburg? I mean, wasn't Sandburg uh, that kind of thing? No, you know what's funny is, I, I don't remember doing that at Carl Sandburg. TJ, definitely not. We're a bunch of nerds, me included. Man, I'd rather just do equations and dap. I don't even remember what the hell I was doing. And by the way, there was only like, there was only 30 black folks in my class and I, we didn't do any, it was just, it was, what's, what's in, it's interesting you say that, Rhonda, because we were all cool, but I just don't remember doing that. I remember high fives. That's what was high fives. Okay. These are the high fives. But it wasn't until UVA when I just, and I don't know when this came up, what year the dap was invented, but it teaches us to give people high fives. You know what I mean? Like, and then the whole Fresh Prince thing, you guys remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. We, we do that. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, but it wasn't until UVA when that, the other, yeah. So, yeah. Wanna, oh, Rhonda, check. I don't know if your blanket's covering your microphone. We went down a little bit. Oh, okay. um, but with the high five, was that still mainly with, with uh, your fellow black classmates, or was that with just everybody? It was everybody. It was everybody. And then, and then, uh, the fist bump too in high school, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and by the way, speaking of fist bumps with this whole COVID 19, because I'm sure this would have been done in person if it wasn't for coronavirus. Now there's gonna be a lot of air daps going on, just so you know. In fact, my uh, my the door guy at my building, we air dap from six feet away. Yeah. Um, it yeah. sucks because you don't hear the sound, but the soul is still there. Yeah, this is, this is turned into an anthropological project that we're doing now that that may long, no longer exist. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that for a 
second. I don't either. I don't either. But it may take some time. It, you know, I think it's going to be the dap with the hand sanitizer for each other. You know, I'll, I'll say that's right. Whether you sanitize me, we dap. And we dap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to take a hiatus. Yeah. But it's going to take a hiatus, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not, it's definitely not going anywhere. But yeah. it needs yeah. to be that. It, it's, culturally, it's too strong. Yeah. It, it, with, with all the new things we have going on, like I said, when there's a return to the office, you're, you're not going to see a lot of handshakes and a lot of hugs, unfortunately. And we as a species, we, we like that human, that contact. That's just how we are. We're like elephants. You know, elephants are pack animals, dogs are pack animals, humans, we're still animals. We're, we're pack animals. Yeah. It'll die down a little bit. But I think this is my prognosis. By Thanksgiving, when things have loosened up a little bit and, you know, it's the holiday season, hopefully we won't have a big second wave of this coming up. Unfortunately, that, that's what they're saying we will. But I'm hoping around the holiday season is when people will get warmed up a little bit. But yeah. who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. I heard an interview today with a survivor of the Spanish flu, and he mentioned that, you know, back in that time when I forget the numbers of people that, that were killed by the Spanish flu, but much more than what Corona is projected to, to do. Yeah. Um, he said it took three to four years before people got back to that normalcy of interacting yeah. in close proximity together. Um, so that, that was interesting. Um, and when I walk around, by the way, just so you know, like when I'm outside, walking around, especially in a good day like this past weekend. Mm -hmm. It's funny because people are, when you're walking, people, some people, and I'm not like this, but some people will kind of, you know, veer off a little bit, especially if they're 20 feet away. They'll kind of make sure they give a room, you know, and, and outdoors, it's more difficult to do it because all the, you know, they said it's an aerosol, the coronavirus is an aerosol, in there, but there's a lot of air patterns that blow it away. So only in close spaces, right? That's, a, that's why they say six feet more away. But the head nod is back. It's making a comeback. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're right about that. Totally like, yeah, <laughs> like that. Just like it's making a comeback, man. Yep. It's making a comeback. And by the way, you know it's making a comeback because it's in such close proximity. You're like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. we're far away, dude. Like, everybody's just, it's awkward. It's an awkward head nod thing. You know what I mean? But nonetheless, it's still yeah, it's not that, that's going to be the new thing. I want to bring the head nod. Exactly. <laughs> that's like, the head nod has always been part of. The, the menu of options mm -hmm. and greetings. Yeah. Yeah. Walking down the street, like in college again, you're walking across campus, it's real cold, you have your hands in your pocket, you give them a quick nod. Yeah. That's yeah. right, quick nod. And you acknowledge that, and they nod back, and it's all good. It's all yeah. loving. It's all and if somebody good. doesn't do it back, you get kind of mad, like, what? Yeah. What? You ain't seen That's me? That's true. I just, right. That's right. You didn't see me? Them. Yeah, you talk about them later. And the That's said, right. Like, I saw so and so, and I, you know, gave him the head nod, and, and it's always I gave him the head nod. Right. That's what I get. That's right. And this, that's this right. Thing, you know, as she speak spoke with the phase one and phase two. If you give someone that phase one, and they don't automatically want to transition to phase two, they get that same look or feeling where I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> it, it says that's so right. much, right? It says so much if it you're not. Says it it says so much and you 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 realize maybe we just have a good business relationship but it can't go beyond that and it's it, that little thing says so much it says that. so much about a person it's it's one of those things you know what i liken it to it's when my wife and i are out on double dates 
And if the person, if, especially if they're not married, because what usually happens, they're not married. If the guy doesn't pull out the chair for the woman or take her coat off later on the Uber ride back home, I'll say, I actually didn't like that because that says a lot. Yeah. That, those, those small things, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it says a lot. Yeah. It so, says a lot. Yeah. Curious about the transition. So, uh, and for your background, Thomas Jefferson is a very, let's just say, uh, academically focused. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Very much. I'm being generous here. Yeah. So, from one nerd <laughs> to another, there, Thomas Jefferson is like Banneker times five. So it's just Banneker. <laughs> right, that's right. Thomas TJ. That's a top school. In Alexandria, it's in Alexandria, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, it's on the border of Alexandria and Annandale, yep. Yeah, so uh, I, my story about TJ is when I was in my uh, high school placement days and college ca- uh, counseling days, um, there was this family from, I forget what part of China, who was in the real estate market purposely looking for a home in proximity yeah. to TJ so they could move yep. from their home in China to proximity to TJ so their child could go to TJ because of the trajectory. Absolutely. That's exactly right. But from yep. a cultural perspective, so you're saying there was no gap in TJ where this was a very academically focused environment. Uh, you'd rather do equations than give gap, which is hilarious. And then you transitioned to UVA, which and we could say a lot about the UVA environment as well. Um, so talk about a little bit how that played a role in you facilitating relationships across the Black community there. I understand that the undergrad environment, the Black community undergrad was really tight, you got the Black bus stop and everything. And so how did, how did you see yourself evolving from not getting DAP and having one identity in high school to now Bucks and DAPs and head nods and, and the whole thing as yeah. What role did that play? It's funny you mentioned the the BBS and Aaron, are you or Sankofa? Are you familiar with the BBS, the Black Bus Stop? Uh, somewhat. I've heard about it from some of the scholars I work with at UNCF, but I'm, I'm not don't know the specifics. Yeah. So I was an engineer, and so like I said, all I did was study in the engineering school and then go party and hang out with friends on weekends uh, and study on weekends too. But a lot of my friends who were in the College of Arts and Sciences, the Black Bus Stop in you can actually go on the Facebook page. It's amazing. It is a it is like our version at UVA Black Folks version of a frat house because it was right in the center of campus, across the street from where slaves, our ancestors, built for free the lawn, the prestigious Thomas Jefferson's lawn. Across the street, right by the old comm school, is this bus stop. And that's where a lot of black students would congregate. And when you walk by there, that's what Rhonda's saying you'd see daps galore. It was like the thing to do now. So what's interesting and kind of some aside history, there's a, a really great administrator at UVA. His name is Lewis Nelson, a white dude. We sat down and had an hour and a half conversation. He's trying to put a plaque, and I think he's been successful, at the Black Bus Stop site. And I helped get him pictures of like lines crossing in front of the BBS. If you go to this, literally, it's a Facebook group, and it shows from the early 80s 
you can tell it's amazing to see the old school buses and the old dress and everything like that and like the big daddy cane hairstyles but folks gathering at the bbs and you look at the history and grads that have graduated bring their kids back and take pictures in front of the bbs for me personally it wasn't a big part of my experience because i never hung out there because the engineering schools is what i did full time but but what's interesting is getting back to the point when Rhonda said, how did you make that transition from TJ to all of a sudden you're dapping at UVA? For me, what I remember about that is music. Mm-hmm. So at that time in 1996, uh, Reasonable Doubt was big. Nas Illmatic, I think, had been released, I think, in 95. Mm-hmm. And also in 94 or 93, The Chronic was released. And I think it was. And so but what happened is that's when there was a the, the rap music really started kind of taking off at that point. We know it was big in the eighties, but in the early nineties, especially when Jay-Z and Dr. Dre were two of the biggest kind of elements in that. And in the videos, if you look at it or like Nas Illmatic, whose world is this? The world is yours. What happened is like, if I were to, if, if I was in high school, cause I'm 41 now, but if I was like, you know, 37, so if there was like four years, if I was four years younger, that means I would have graduated in high school, high school from 2000. I would have known what the DAP was and I wouldn't be high-fiving people. You know what I mean? So I think that this, this where, and by the way, a lot of friends from UVA, got a lot of buddies from UVA that were from New York. They were closer to that, like the urban music scene because hip hop, I don't care what anybody says, the birthplace of hip hop, and I'm not, I love Atlanta, um, booty shake music. I love West Coast music a lot. Yeah. I, I listen to a lot of old school, you know, Black Superman, way back in the days, one of my favorite songs back in the days, right? But it was born in New York City. That's where it was born. Can you specifically say it was born in the Bronx. The Bronx, yes. The yeah. Boogie Down. <laughs> like, specifically. This thing is cute, but I think you need to say the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Bronx, yes. Yes. Specifically. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You're right. <laughs> specifically, you're right. I got to get specific. You're right. You're right. And so, what happened is a lot of cats from New York, they were doing it already because they, they were they were close to they they were missing artists I never heard of, and also people, you know, like what's um what's his name? Uh, Jadakiss says, "How come a brother up north better than Jordan that ain't getting no break?" There was a lot of people that could exceed Jay-Z in terms of skills, just didn't get a break. So they knew all these other rappers that I had never heard of. So they knew the culture and the dat was there. But for me, it wasn't until the music brought it forward. But, but when I graduated around this time, that's when I think Rhonda, the music kind of really put it, put the dap on a different level. Yeah, You make an amazing point because, I mean, the culture gets the media moves the culture, right? And and we mentioned uh, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I think that yeah. alone uh, changed the culture, definitely introduced depth to the world. Um, and we think about the music. I mean, historically, when we talk about depth, um, because of the depth project, we, we did a little bit of research on where it originated. And it seems to have started around the, the times of the Vietnam War, which, you know, the war was between 1955 and 75. And black men that were in the military during that time, or in the army at that time, uh, began uh, exchanging debt with one another as a way to say, brother, I got your back. I see you. I got you. 
and that's and and that is kind of stuck. So when you hear the term depth, um, that's really where it kind of originated back in the uh, in the in yeah. the Vietnam War, and it kind of as as those military men went back to their homes as they were discharged from the military, it, it spread throughout the nation and world for that matter. And and, and lo and behold, in 2020 on April 3rd. <laughs> yeah, that stands for we uh, we researched and found that it stands for dignity and power. And what I think, what we can probably say gives a lot of longevity is that the experience of the black man in the Vietnam War is the experience of the black man in every environment where they are in a subservient position, where they're um, where they're not cared for, where they're not respected, where the black body is not respected. So this notion of ex- of exchanging depth, whether you're on the battlefield in Vietnam or whether you're on another metaphorical or actual battlefield really resonates. And I'm curious. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to introduce you to my dad because he was a captain in the Vietnam War. He did two tours in Vietnam. But, but I'm also going to send you a clip that my nephew did, my oldest nephew did, about my father's experience. He was in the Army Corps of Engineers and he was leading black folks and white folks. And I'm gonna send you that clip later so you just can take a look at it. It's pretty cool, but that's, I have no idea, dignity and power. Dignity and power. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand why that would resonate across time and across landscapes as well. Mm -hmm. I wonder, to what degree do you think it being an urban environment influenced that being prevalent in New York and why that may or may not have been the case in Virginia. Is there something to that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only thing, because New York is the epicenter of, in my opinion, cool. That's like everything, you know, I, I always say there's three cities that stay open. Actually, let me think this one. Yeah. Three cities that open in America, three cities that stay open past 3 a.m. And those cities are New York, Las Vegas, and Miami. <laughs> but, but the, the New York, everybody who is cool or hip has an office in New York. If you just name any company, they have an office in New York city. So it's always been the epicenter of just everything. Now, I'm take you back. So if we look in the 60s, because I love soul music. So does my dad. So does my father-in-law. And so does most black folks who are older. Right. Um, I used to live in Detroit, worked at Ford Motor Company and Motown was big, you know, as you as we all know. But but the reason why I think it, it it the main factor behind New York is like that coolness factor that New York has. And even people from New York, the first time I went to UVA, I was like, so do these people have static cling on their leg because their left legs are pulled up on their jeans? <laughs> and I was like, was I was like, no, that's the style. Right. And I started seeing like Errol Cool J was wearing that stuff. Remember that the one leg up? And I was like, what is this? Yep. But then all of a sudden, everybody, people from Farmville, Virginia, that went to UVA were wa- walking around. <laughs> with their- that's right. That's right. So I was like, what is it? So, but I think that's why is because not just the fact that urban music was born, like you said, in the Bronx there, but New York is still to this day, it is the, if I may, the capital of the world. You know what I mean? It's like 
everybody knows that right now, at least America is the number one superpower. We're the strongest economy. But the capital of the financial world, the capital of the you know consulting world, the business world is New York. So it has so much panache that that's just where it emanated from. And D.C., great city, love this area, doesn't have that same thing, you know. Neither does Boston or Philadelphia. Miami's told Miami's like, um, it, it, it literally everybody laughs. They said, you know, um, what's the old saying about Miami? They said, um, uh, it's I'm gonna mess this up, but they said it's the closest thing you can get to being in America, but you're really like in South America or something funny like that. A little pun. So Miami's just you know different animal in general. LA is great, but distance, you know, it's 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 just very spread out you know downtown la is now finally taking off especially with what they've done with la live in the past i don't know 10 15 years or so but i think it's just because there's just a new york cool factor i mean you went to columbia and you saw it firsthand and just how powerful it is i think that's why it just and the music is there that's the birthplace of of hip-hop that's just where it came from you know that's the only thing i can relate to is back to the culture Mm-hmm. and it had that um that brown look to it as well the fact that there are brown people doing this i think also had a huge influence in shaping a a common identity so did you take this practice then of exchanging death into your professional world so you graduate from uva and ford was your next step yeah yep. yeah so you dapping people up in Detroit. what was that about yeah so so it was um it, it it the same so Ford was interesting because in Detroit, Michigan, um, if you guys have ever been there, I thought it was gonna be all love because of all the black folks that were there. Mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. In Detroit, if you're not from there, it's really hard to meet people. And mm-hmm. so I would do the nod, you know, I remember I used to get my hair cut right on seven, seven mile. I would do the nod and nobody would do it back. And I was like, what's going on? And somebody told me, they said, you know, you just got to, they said, it's just, it, it's one of those places. And Chicago is different, which is interesting. But they yeah. said, Detroit, it's one of those things. If you're not from there, then people are going to have their guard up with you. Yeah. So once it took a few years until I could have a good contingent of, you know, folks from Detroit that were cool. And I had to learn that's just how it is. Whereas so Chicago, Chicago, when I go to Chicago. Chicago didn't gain you. I mean, uh, the knot didn't gain you that, that, int- that entree like right away. That wasn't the no, universal. I remember my cousin who stayed with us in Marshall, Texas, who was from Detroit. He came and went to Wiley College, an HBCU in, in Marshall. Uh, but he's the first person that told me, he's like, if you don't know somebody in Detroit, you don't look them in the eye. And That's alone, exactly right. Let alone give them dab or give them the nod. It's like, if I don't know you, keep it moving. And so it, 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 Detroit was different in that aspect from any other city that I've heard about. I don't know if that's a Midwestern thing. I don't know if Chicago was like that. But yeah, I got that same feel and and uh, introduction to Detroit myself. Yeah, and by the way, shout out to Wiley College, uh, great debaters, good oh, film. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love Denzel. It's one of my favorite films. But um, but like, what's crazy? What you just said is so Detroit. The reason why I thought Detroit was not going to be that way is because we all know about the Great Migration. When right. we all moved up from the south right, right. to New York, to, to mainly Detroit, Chicago. For, but it was yeah. great. When I go to Chicago, it was all love. We were at a stoplight on Lakeshore Drive, 
because at Ford, you can take these, they're, they're fleet vehicles and they want you to put miles on them because they're doing testing. Mm-hmm. So we took out a Land Cruiser, me and my buddy, and we were driving on Lakeshore Drive, wearing you know, hats on backwards, bumping whatever we were bumping back then. Car full of ladies next to us were like, hey, waving. And we're like, because we were sitting in Detroit for so long, we're like, why are they waving? They're like, oh, <laughs> we're not in Detroit, we're not in Detroit. What's going on? What's going on? Yeah. But, but it was so crazy how different it was we were it's four hour drive west so different and and and, and like i said it's just that but when you get to know people all love yeah it's all the love but but in detroit the dat the first of all forget the dat because i couldn't get close enough to folks i couldn't get a head now (laughs) right not even a head right but you know but 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 like you said after people warm up to you then it's all different yeah it's all love I'm going to take you a little ahead as well. So for maybe not so much, you know, kind of warming you up. Um, at your finishing school that we would like to call HBS, what was it like? <laughs> you like that, right? Your finishing school? Finishing school, where, gotcha. Yes, where you were groomed to be the titans of capitalism and anything else that your hand wanted to touch. Uh, how did that work? How did you establish relationship or how did that factor into you building relationship across community or within the black community? Did you use DAP as a, as a gauge to determine who's in, who's not, who's, who are you feeling? Tell me a little bit. Yeah, about- so yeah, what's crazy at HBS, it was, and I think it's because a time thing and an age thing, because I started in 2003. And by that time, the, you know, I had been around enough people from you know, different cities, New York, met people internationally. But by then for me, the DAP was ingrained in my head. And at HBS, out of the 930 some odd students, 75 of them were black slash African. And so because it was, because what's cool about not just HBS, but any business school, or for that matter, any law school or professional school, they're not as big as undergrad classes, for example. And also people are older in grad school. So you're beyond the, well, I only want to hang out with people who look like me. You know, <laughs> you're, you're beyond that stuff. Admitted Students Weekend was all love with black folks, head nod, dap, hugs, where are you from? I mean, it, with the funny joke I told, I told folks was that, that Admitted Students Weekend at HBS, you could be at the urinal and people would be trying to shake your hand, the guy next to the urinal. He was like, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? And black, white, didn't matter what it was, right? Yeah. Whatever, whatever. It was a different level of like, like, and it's because also we know that not just HBS, but any school like that is hard to get into, any yeah. top 10 to 15. So this automatic kinship of, man, I know you're a good person because you made it in here and they, you know, schools, they weed out folks who act like jerks and assholes. Mm-hmm. So it was just such a smooth, easy transition. And, and it was all love. It was yeah. all so, love. So let's pose an alternate outcome where maybe someone had given you a handshake at that weekend, a black dude had given you a handshake. What would have gone through your mind at the time? Uh, ben Carson or um Clarence Thomas. A hundred percent. But 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 the reason why is because um a lot of people that go to business school, it's different than law school or medical school. We have a level of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And to be in business, you have got to have a big exposure. I think most people have a big exposure to different folks. 
And so that a handshake would be like, this is way too fucking formal. You better dap me up and hug my black hand. You know? <laughs> that's a that's a very good point you make. I'm I'm thinking about my week at for teachers college at Columbia, where it was total opposite, right? I didn't have any kind of I felt like an imposter. Imposter syndrome hit me heavy. Uh my first yeah. during the the whole welcome to teachers college day, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term. And I didn't get comfortable until uh Black guy, Rico Wright, came out. He happened to be the student government president for Teachers College. That's a, that's a black thing, Rico Wright. Rico Wright. <laughs> I like that. Rico Wright. What's up, Sankofa? I'm Rico Wright. <laughs> that's right. My little cousin, Rico. Rico Wright just opened up the Black Wall Street Museum in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so he's living up to his name. <laughs> wow. That's what's up, man. Yeah, yeah. Grandmama's grandson is proud. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me comfort, and you know, once I saw him, I like immediately gave up, went up to him and gave him that because, you know, as a black male in education and in a, in a psychology program, I'm in most cases, ninety five percent of the time, I'm the only black person in the class, and yeah, all, definitely the only black male, and then every, every two or three classes out of twelve, I will have some fellow black women in the class with me. So yeah, it, you make a good point about being business school, being at a top business school in the world uh, versus being at a top education institution in the world. Uh, it's a different experience, so. I think there's a decision yeah. to make. I would push it and say there's a decision to make about how you're going to project yourself. Like you were saying, are you Ben Carson? Are you somebody else? Are you Stedman? for lack of a better example, or like how will you decide? Because as a business school, you're, you're setting your path to go in a particular direction. And we all know that you have to look the part. And a lot of that, I mean, calling it finishing school is not an exaggeration because you're groomed yeah. to then conduct yourself in a particular way, speak in a particular yep. way, command conversation, command respect, build relationships. And in okay. a white institution, that often has the white face. HBS has been pretty progressive among top business schools and expanding what that looks like. But still, it, for all intents and purposes, often has a white face and operates within white culture. So as a black person who wants to go places and has a very clear destination, is very ambitious, you have to decide, how am I going to show up in this particular space? And does that include behaving this way? Does it include a tone of voice that way? Do I square my shoulders? Do I look them in the eye? So I'm curious, how have you negotiated um, extending that to other black men in professional settings? Or do you think of, are you consciously debating? Yes, here, no, they're using that emotional intelligence that you were speaking about. How does that factor into building relationships for you and your, your client you know, to achieve your goals, your professional goals? Yeah. So what's interesting is, and so you, you've touched on a lot of important things, and that is, you know, how do you make the determination, especially in business school, when you first meet somebody, and then shortly thereafter, when you literally, because behind, I, I think the DAP is just, it's the signal to show the soul of a person. And when I use the word soul, I don't mean like you're a soul man, like like that, but it's like, um, I view ADAP as, are you about helping one another? Are you about helping us? That, that's what it comes to me. It doesn't come to me as, are you cool? Right? I don't think everyone can. The reason why is because um, uh, 
So how I was raised contributes to who I am today because my parents said, you can do whatever the hell you want to do in your life. All we want you to do is get good grades because right now, you don't know this yet, but we do. Work hard in school and get good grades because that will lead you to the next level to ultimately one day, because you got good grades, you're going to get a good education. And all a good education does is make it easier for you to do what, whatever you want to do in life. I think a lot of black folks now have this pressure and the, the, a good analogy will be in, um, you know, coming to America, Lisa's family. Remember Lisa's family when they wanted to meet the gentleman, they wanted to meet Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah. There's this pressure of, well, I was a lawyer or I was a doctor, so this is what you have to be. And I think that pressure that I've seen, blacks and whites, but we're talking about black folks here, that pressure builds up on you so much where you think that you have to act or behave a certain way because you have to be a doctor or a lawyer and that's it. I really believe that I was given the freedom to do, and my wife's the same way. She was raised the same exact way. That's why we get along so well because her parents, very successful lawyer and a businesswoman, and they've always said, whatever the hell you want to do, do it. But first, do good in school because that's at your age, your young age, that's the next step you need to make it. We both know people that were pressured by parents to do things that they don't like. I have a lot of friends, Sankofa, that are lawyers. Oh, yeah. That you have to like what you do because you have spent long hours doing it, you know, from from your wife. A lot of my friends don't like it as much, but the money's great. And then they're caught up in this vicious cycle of, right. well, I have to have a fancy car because that makes me feel good because all my other friends have a fancy car and a fancy house. And, well, but I have to put up with this 10-hour days. Okay, I'll just do it for five years. All of a sudden, you got more shit you bought. Right. And now you have to keep that lifestyle. All of a sudden, you're on this treadmill and you can't get off. But a lot of my friends were pressured like that. And then therefore what happens is socially they're all kind of fucked up and they don't know how to be loose and just be, be themselves and themselves doesn't mean being an extrovert like me themselves mean being confident in yourself. Yeah. So you're giving advice to a young guy coming out of school, not very well established, but ambitious. How would you advise them to present themselves when they are interacting in um, informal business settings? Perhaps they're on an interview or at horrible networking session. <laughs> I say horrible because they're not my favorites, but it's yeah. a, a young a young guy of color, a young black guy, and their inclination is to to give that as they're meeting someone. How would you advise them about how they should show up? Yeah, here's how they should show up. I, I use the plus 10, minus 10 age thing because most young people in settings like that um, are going to be meeting people that are, you know, if you're like 17, 18, you know, 19, you're going to be meeting people that are probably, from my experience, at least these networking sessions, at least in their, and this is me trying to think back. Um, I would say early thirties to mid thirties, you should show some deference in settings like that. Um, unless that gentleman, that black gentleman you're meeting, 
goes for the DAP first, because I was at UVA um, February 24th. I drove, I was tired as hell, but I, I just got back from LA. But I drove to a NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers, gathering at the Rotunda at UVA because so many people did that for me, like, you know, career day stuff. So I drove down, everybody I met, they were so fun. They were, they were kind of nervous, like, because I have to forget, to me, I'm used to meeting all types of people, but for these cats, especially engineers, we can be quieter a little bit. They were like, oh my God, it's, it's an older person I'm meeting. I was like, hey, what's going on, man? I'm like, what's your name? Bam, went in for it, and they were like, oh. right? They were like shocked, because I set the stage. And then they were cool. After that, it was like this, this like cool thing that went on with them. Right. So but if I wasn't like that, if I was more serious because of my age, I would say, no, don't do it. Show deference, much like I show deference to somebody who's 65, 68 in mixed crowds. Now, it's a black setting. But that's when these young folks can be can can can, you know, because usually if you go to if you know you're going to an event, that's that's a Nesby or a national black NBA or, you know, these, the, ex, the, the, the culture thing is there already. So you can be a little bit looser, mm -hmm. but if it's like engineering career fair, networking fair, that's when you got to be a little bit careful with it. So I would say default is to show deference, but here's what's cool about that. What's cool about it, Rhonda is when you do shake that person's hand, it's in a mixed setting and he may be older than you. Um, as, as you talk, you're going to get social cues, um, where that person's from. You know, you, you might find out you're both from DC or you both, you know, like this particular artist or just anything that will come up. That's not business related mm -hmm. in your conversation. Then when, when you leave that little environment and go network with the next person, you'll get a cue of, wow, that went really well. I'm going to go in for the that, you know, you get this, these cues you pick up on. But if the person is about business and they were Dow Chemicals, and at Dow Chemicals, we recently merged with DuPont, as you know, and that's <laughs> the And then at the end, well, great. Well, here's my resume. It was so meeting you, uh, Leon. It was great meeting you too, Demetrius, in shape, right? right? But if there's these other things that go on, and this is where the emotional intelligence comes in to yeah. play, get these feelings where you know, man, I start with a handshake with this dude, even though I'm 19 and he's 33. Um, we, he, we, we, there was something about us that we just really hit it off. It goes back you to what you said. That's what you said. It's a signal to show the soul of a person. And, and that little nuanced conversation where a song you like comes up or uh, being from a, having an auntie from Alabama comes up, that's yeah. allowing you uh, insight into their soul just a little bit to where you know. Just a little bit. Yeah. That's right. But, um, that's my, right. My cousin, Nipsey, air quotes. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he, describes it, he describes it as saying, I see you. That's what he says. He says, it's that moment like where, that. where I see you. And then he also said something else. My, my cousin is a very profound dude. Yeah. He's, he's a very profound dude. He said that dap could be, that embrace could be the only hug that that person gets all day. And so you yep. really gotta, you gotta put something into it. And my cousin's yeah. a lot of places, he's been around, he knows a lot of people. And he was very attuned to, like you were saying, the soul of a person and being able to, to bring love 
And, and that's what he described it as. It's like, you know, you just gotta give him some love. You gotta give him some love because where he's coming from is it's hard out there. You yeah. don't always feel yeah. like people recognize who you are or you don't always feel safe emotionally or physically. And take it back to the origins of Vietnam that transcends time and space. So you could not feel safe in a corporate environment. You might feel like you always have to be buttoned up, that you have to yep. use a, um, a higher pitch in your voice, lest somebody gets a little antsy or worried about you being too threatening or, oh my God, less is yep. at hand, or whether you really right. are out here in the streets, but that, that DAP tells you, I see you, I got you, I, I recognize you. We're, we're in this yeah. together from, yeah. from where we grew from the playground to the Nesby networking event, to the rotunda, to college walks, to wherever our paths take us. When we get that DAP, we're in this, I got you. We're yes. You're safe. I see you, I like, I see you. That's a very, it's so powerful. It, words don't it puts it says so much without saying anything that's what i'm trying to say that is exactly what the dap to me is it says so much without saying anything without saying a word that's right that's our tagline what are the black man's most nuanced yet telling gesture. gesture i guess i should memorize the tagline right Since you wrote it I did write it. You wrote it. <laughs> you wrote it. Yeah, you wrote it's it. It's that Henny talking to you. It's that Henny talking to you. See, I got two of those. Like a Vulin, like a Vulin 12. Like a Vulin 16. Like a Vulin 16. So when you were growing up, we're, we're getting ready to wrap because we're an hour and 23 minutes in. But uh, when you were growing up, did you spend much time in DC at all? Yeah, so I thank you for asking that question. I loved going into DC because I would go to DC Live, the Ritz, Quigley's oh, the Tunnel, Ritz. the Spy Club, oh, I, Clock. Yeah, I love dancing. I I caught so my office now is across the street from where Quigley's was on 19th and M or, or 19th and K. Wyclef John. There's a guy named Yoko Masafiri. Anybody heard of him? Heard. Maybe not. He's my buddy from UVA. Okay. He we were we were at Quigley's. And I pass by Quigley's almost every day because it's kind of that underground in the in the building right there, this big office building where Quigley's used to be. And Wyclef John was in the audience, and this is when the Fujis were were kind of kind of big. This was maybe two thousand and one, right? Two thousand two. Two thousand one. Yeah, they were big. It was just Wyclef John, and he jumped in the audience. My buddy and I, we caught Wyclef John, and we looked at each other like we're holding Wyclef John right now. And what's crazy is. You won't believe this, but three years earlier, my buddy Ryan Wallace and I, uh, and we were at a Nesby conference in Anaheim, and they needed, the queues needed extra people to do security. So we were inebriated. Most people would say drunk as shit. <laughs> waiting to get in to hear uh, Red Man and Method Man, and they picked us. We were wearing these tight shirts. We were like, you know, going crazy. So they put us in the pit. So our job was two things. One, to... Method Man and Red Man, the insurance said that, you know, they're not allowed to jump in the crowd, mm -hmm. but they did jump in the crowd. We had to go and fetch them from the crowd. So I had Red Man and Method Man on my shoulders. My uh, buddy and I were looking at each other drunk like, I cannot believe this. We have pictures too. I, uh, my, I, my picture book isn't near me. I'll show you later. You have but, to send a picture but, Continue your story. Yeah, it's just something about, it's something about black men want to jump, jump on me in crowds, famous black men. I catch them all. 
right? <laughs> but but I loved Quigley's. Getting back to the story that my Wycliffe Jr. story to this day. So I love going in the DC. Yep. Right. So I got a lot of stories, man. And uh, I'm gonna close out, Ronnie. You may have a follow up, but in a gentrifying DC, so you know the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, the days of the Ritz. I remember going to the Ritz, I think in 98 was when I went to the Ritz. Um, yep. In a gentrifying DC where we will not see Ritz, we'll see very few go-go's. How do you feel that affects positively or negatively the exchange of depth amongst the black folks who are remaining in the city uh, still? Yeah. Um... So a deeper question than that is, are there any other places like the Ritz, uh, DC Live, Quigley's? And the answer is no. Um, and I think, so. and I love go-go music too. And so I think what that new form is, I think they're called, what's the new form of go-go called? Beat band, break band? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know the name of it. Like like THB is one of the names of the group or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's the new version. And I think for that genre of young folks, millennials and Generation Z, I don't know where those clubs are. And I don't know if DAP even goes on there, but people of our generation, um, the only place that I know where that still exists in Washington, D.C. proper is a place called the Lounge of Three. Where's that? I go there. Oh, you street. Oh, it's awesome. It is located. It's amazing. So it's located on, I think, like uh, maybe 11th and 11th, U. 11th and U. They have first Wednesday, uh, old school hip hop first Wednesdays. I mean, first Wednesday of the month. How do you know about this? How? Yeah, how do you know about this? <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be home with the kids? <laughs> <laughs> what's happening? What's happening? I work at the United Negro College Fund. Can I? Are you saying? You out there for work? But 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 Rhonda, Rhonda, here's what's cool. It actually doesn't. It, it opened like it's a. I go. I used to go there once or twice a month. And I would go there on Wednesdays or Thursdays. And when you walk in, it, it's right across the street, literally right across the street from the um, uh, African-American memorial, oh, the actual physical memorial, the war memorial for Civil War. It's across the street. It's this little storefront. They have it upstairs and downstairs. When you walk in, it could be 5 p.m. The DJ is pumping music. It's all old school hip hop. And it, it comes full circle to so hip hop and the that. Yeah, you probably have it. It's 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 on the same block as Bohemian Caverns. I don't, I think that closed though. Bohemian Caverns closed. Yeah, yeah. but the lounge of three. You walk in, and I feel the same energy I felt at the Ritz or DC Live. The only difference is I'm I'm not wearing skids jeans or used jeans, right? Yeah. But but you walk in, and the DJs in the corner playing. You give them a head nod. I'm telling you, Ron. Six years ago, I was with my buddy Halen Price. Um, and we went there. No, no, it wasn't six years. I didn't know Hailing then. This was, no, this was seven years ago. Because Hailing and I have gone back since then. But seven years ago, I went in there with some people from JLO where I used to work. And 
I'm, I'm, I know a lot of rap lyrics. I love hip hop. And so, and I also like country music too, but that's for the next episode when you guys have me on. So I was jamming out to <laughs> some like, in, oh yeah, no, yeah. So I was jamming out in the music. It did something to me inside where I was sweating. I was rapping the lyrics, strangers I didn't know. I was my hands around their shoulders and we were going like this Let's back and forth against the wall by the bar. <laughs> The, yes, he is. the bartender was getting so into it. And by the way, this is, they, they don't, it's all unedited music. It's only from the eighties and the nineties. That's it. And so it's all when rap was rapping, it meant something. And so the bartender was, when I went to get a drink, he says, he looked at me, he says, no, man, fuck that. You're not paying for anything. He lines up 10 shots and just pours them out and hands them out to people. He says, we need your energy. This is why this place was built. And I almost started crying. It was crazy. I was drunk too. <laughs> but I was like, this, I didn't want to leave. And like, I was just rapping. And my friends were like, you were like, we had no idea you were like such a hip hop head. They said we had no idea. And so, and then we all went upstairs to the second bar. And it's like, it's so cool because Rhonda, you would feel comfortable as a woman because usually these bars and clubs guys are saying, what's, what's your name? girl? But there, people bond over music. Yeah, that really evokes a special time in DC's history when it was Chocolate City and it, the environment itself. You walk down the street and it's all, you know, Black culture everywhere. You go all Black everything. And now we know it's not like that. And so exchanging that with someone can take on a different kind of meaning. And the way my cousin described it was that you put a little bit more into it because um, you recognize that there aren't as many brothers here, that it's no longer that safe cultural space that, that it once was. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and your brother's right, because I think a certain genre of people recognize what it is. The, the younger millennials and Generation Z folks, they don't have the same type of places to go to where we did. Um, like Tunnel, Spy Club, all that. Go-Go music was big here. Go-Go yeah. music is to hear what, what hip-hop was in the Bronx. I love Go-Go music. Junkyard band. Um, all, all of them. And it's like pleasure, the all female yes. man. I yes. love man, you know. So, but, but, what's interesting is you're right because when you see somebody and you can tell they're from your vintage, it's a different feeling and it's hard to describe. And adapt does mean more. Um, I can't remember the last time I adapt up a black millennial. I think it was maybe in a Nesby convention. I think that's where it probably was. Or in actually uh, UVA, when I went to UVA into February. Um, that's when it was. And they were actually, they seemed so excited. And I think in their minds, they're thinking, there's an old dude like showing me love, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like this, because like, my, I guess they're surprised when people our age. Because I, I probably would do some- I'm going to need you to stop saying old and, and people are age. Relatively, yeah. Well, compared to them, though. Compared yeah. to them. Even though we don't, I don't feel old. <laughs> them, I have you a know? certain sort of ring to it that I just can't associate with. <laughs> Mature. Vintage. Yeah. Because, by the way, I don't feel that I'm old. Like, my nephew is like, because I am I can run faster and jump higher than my nephew and lift more weights. It's like, well, that's crazy. I said, well, I'm not old. Old is like 55, 50. Hey, I like that. yes. <laughs> yes. So, so. Fifty might be too old for old. us, but exactly. old itself okay. 
itself. 80. 80. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the, uh, I think the, the larger, you know, cultural landscape in the district gives different meaning to these practices that we have. Yeah. Because it does evoke, this was the time and space where we felt a certain type of way. Yes. Because it was Chocolate City. Yes. Exchanging that gap between men is a way to say, hey, we're still here, or we are of that same mindset, of that same spirit. Again, it's another way of saying, I see you. That's right. I see you. I like, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is fun. We hope that we may have to follow up with you at some point to, to do a second second round. We're not talking country music. I know you're okay. but We're not talking. Although you know there's a lot of big black country music folks and a lot of the, the history of it, you know, because black folks, you know, we invented bulldog uh, back in the day. So remember that song? One out of the every three cowboys were black. But if you watch TV, you never know that. That wasn't a whole, that wasn't a whole.